we come to the Lord's table. Someone asked me this week, not a member of our church, but we were talking about Sunday and talking about coming to this time. And they said, well, why do you not go on and stay in the Gospel of John and then just do the Lord's Supper after that? And my answer was one I've had for many years and still hold by is because the Lord's Supper should be central to the service when we come to the Lord's table. For too many years, for too, too long, I was guilty, as many other Baptists that I know of have been guilty of just sort of tacking the Lord's Supper on every now and then at the end of a service just so we could say we did it. That's not the reason we come to this table. We come to this table purposefully. We come to this table centrally. We come to this table to say, Lord, you are the king. And, and your sacrifice that we are focusing on this morning when we come to this table is central to everything we are and everything we do and everything we believe. We indeed are coming to think about you, to think about your sacrifice. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we looked at this last month when we did the Lord's Supper, observed the Lord's Supper. But in 1 Corinthians 11, he, he talks about what he received from the Lord. And, and the indication is there that when Paul was there in the Arabian desert with the Lord for about three years after his conversion, uh, the Lord specifically and purposefully and, and personally taught the Apostle Paul. After his resurrection, after his ascension, and Paul is called as an apostle, there is that, that unique teaching that went on between the Lord and the Apostle Paul in the, in the wilderness, in the, in the desert. And Paul said, I didn't get this from Peter, I didn't get this from John, I didn't get this from any of the other disciples. This is what the Lord taught me about the Lord's table. They were there with him in that upper room on that last supper. They were there to fight among themselves as to who would be greatest in the kingdom when this kingdom did come. Oh, Lord, can I sit at your right hand and can I sit on your other side, Lord? They, they didn't understand at all what was going on that night. As a matter of fact, when he said, one of you will betray me this night, they looked around at each other and they said, is it going to be me? Am I the one? Who's going to, who's going to? They, they were all confused about what was taking place on that night. I've often said to you, I wish that I could not have been there that night. I didn't want to be there in the upper room that night as the Lord was preparing them for his death. But I do wish I could have been with Peter and John and James and the rest of them the second time they came to this table. After his resurrection, after his ascension into heaven, after they knew and had seen his glory manifest before them, I would love to have been there with them the second time. I don't think there was any arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. I don't think there was any jockeying for position. I think there was just worship, just pure worship of their God and their King. I, I think on that second time, there, there was just a focus in him on, you know, he said this bread was his body and this wine is his blood. I mean, that's what was given on Calvary. That's what he gave for us, and now he's commissioned us and sent us forth into the world. I think on that second time, they had a real understanding. But Paul, there with Jesus in the Arabian desert, says, this is what he taught me. He told me about the night he was betrayed. He told me how he took the bread and he took the wine. He said, this is my body and this is the cup of the new covenant. But then he gets down in verse 27, and that's where I want us to focus this morning. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drink, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and the blood 
of the Lord. But a man, and that's anthropos, that's a man or a woman, a human being coming to this table, but a person must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to then eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and, and a number sleep, and that sleep there means de- are dead. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. This is the word of the Lord. Self-examination. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying that we are to do when we come to this table. Now, now Paul, I don't think, is talking about some kind of morbid nasal gazing or introspection that says, oh, let me see how many faults I can find in myself. Let me see how many, how many negatives I can find, how many weaknesses I can find. I don't think Paul is talking about that at all. We can sit around and be morbidly self-absorbed in what we're not doing or what we can't do all day long, and it does us no good and does the body no good, the body of Christ. But yet, Paul says, when you do come, examine yourself. Look and see what it is in your life that is interfering with your walk with Christ. Examine where you are in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is what Paul is saying. Examine yourself and see, is there something there that is interfering? Is there something there that is breaking down my walk with Christ? Is there there stuff in my life, idols in my life, that are drawing me away from being focused on Him, desiring communion and fellowship with Him every day? Is there something there that is really wrecking my relationship and my fellowship and my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Examine yourselves when you come to this table. You know, the the world was kind of shocked a bit this week, or the church was kind of shocked, I think, when a scholar, and I put quotation marks around that, talked about how, you know, that uh, there's a new fragment of of a letter, of a papyrus, written in Coptic, Egyptian Coptic. It's about the size of a business card. We talked about this Wednesday night. That, that has Jesus saying, and my wife shall be my disciple. And oh, it's just, infl- it's just stirred up the world greatly. This, this scholar from Harvard University is, has said this is, this is perhaps proof that, that Jesus was married and he had a wife, and, and, and he's elevating that wife to the point of not just discipleship, which all men and women who follow Christ are, but but elevate her to the to a point of apostleship. And so it's just been in a buzz all through the Christian world. No context, just a fragment. Nothing, no what he said before, no what he said after. But I love what one writer said in a secular journal, uh, the Atlantic magazine. He said, you know, the, the New Testament is filled with talks about Christ's wife. There's nothing new about that, and there's not. There is the wife who is the body, or, or excuse me, the bride of Christ. Jesus talked about the bride. Paul talks about the church being the bride of Christ and and that he is the husband. He is the head of the bride and and the bride is his wife to be following him, obedient to him. We 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 are the body and we are the bride of Christ. 
and, and as a husband and a wife need to have close fellowship with one another, so his bride, his wife, needs to have close fellowship with him. And that's what Paul is getting at when he comes to this passage in examining ourselves. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? I, I had a great joy yesterday afternoon. Uh, I, I performed a wedding yesterday afternoon. I, I, weddings are always fun. I always enjoy them, but but this one had a little something special to it because it was, it was quick, it was sudden, I wasn't planning, didn't go through premarital counseling with them, which I always require. But this was a man and woman who wanted to be married, who had been married for about 40 years and had divorced two years ago. They're the parents of one of our members. And, and I got a call from our member, Val, on Friday, and she said, would you be willing to do this? Told me the circumstances, and I said, absolutely. Because you see, what has happened in that two years has been nothing short of miraculous. The husband has come to know the Lord through the struggles and the tough times. They've, he's trusted Christ, and, and the wife already knew Christ, and they've, but she has renewed her, uh, her commitment to Christ, and together they are now united one in Christ, and I had the joy of doing that yesterday afternoon at about 2.30, and, and it was a great joy because there was, if you will, if I could use this, during, uh, during this time of awayness, there was some examination, and there was some examining their own relationship, their relationship with, them, with, with the, themselves with the Lord, and their relationship to one another, and they came to this point, and they said, we want to recommit that. We want to be married again, and we were able to Rejoice in that with their family as we came to that point. I think what Paul is saying here is, is that there are times in your life when you allow the things of this world, the, the idols of this world, to get in between you and your relationship with Him. And this table ought to be a time of examining ourselves and saying, wait a minute, what is going on in my life and my walk with the Lord? Is it just a Sunday morning thing? Or is it something that, that, that is vital and real? Is there something that has happened in my life that is, has kind of turned me off to the church maybe and pushed me away? And, and, and is this a time where I need to say, Lord, I need to, I need to come back to you. You don't get remarried. If you're a believer, you're already married to Christ. A part of the, you're a bride. You're a part of the bride of the body of Christ, and, and he is your, your husband in that sense, spiritual sense. But there ought to be a time where we say, Lord, is there something that has been broken that needs to be restored? Is there something that I've allowed to, to, to distract me from my looking to you? And I need to repent of that. The passage that, that, that Ricky read just a few minutes ago, Brother Ricky, out of the Psalms, one of my favorite parts of Psalm 119, that long psalm, where David cries out, my soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Then he says, I have told of my ways and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. I've told of my ways. That's confession. David says, I'm, I'm, I'm lower than a snake's belly. My soul is cleaving to the dust. I'm hurting. I recognize there are things in my life, O oh Lord, that need to be dealt with. And so then the second verse of that, he says, I've told of my ways. I've confessed to you, and you have answered me. One of the great truths that you and I need to grasp and cling to in our walk with Christ is that he never moves. He never leaves. 
He's never an unfaithful husband. He's never a, a, a neglecting husband. You and I, who are husbands in this room, know that we can be guilty of neglecting our bride. We can be guilty of neglecting our wives. But Christ never does. He's the faithful groom, the faithful husband, always. And so if there is a a lessening in that relationship, if there is a, a drifting in that relationship, we know where the drifting is. It's with us, his bride. And David says, I, I've told you my ways. I've confessed my ways. I've confessed my sin. And you've, you've answered me. Now teach me your statutes. That is, teach me your truth. And, and make me to understand, O Lord, the way of your precepts. Do you see his prayer here? Do you see his fervency in this prayer? Lord, I've confessed to you that I've allowed idols to distract me. I confess to you that I have dropped lower than the dust. And Lord, now here's what I'm asking. I'm asking that you revive me according to your word. Teach me your precepts. Teach me your statutes. Help me, O Lord, to understand your way and let me walk in them so that I can meditate on your wonders. What do you meditate on? You say, I don't have time for meditation. Oh, yeah, you do. You meditate. I meditate all the time. Well, I, I may meditate. I meditated yesterday afternoon on football. Confessing my sin, I guess, but it's true. I was captivated by football. Watched games. I didn't care a thing about a team that was playing, but it was football. David is saying here, I want to learn to meditate on your ways. I want to meditate on your wonders. Show me your wonders, Lord. You, you want to see some wonders of God? Walk outside this afternoon, just look heavenly and see the sun. And, and recognize that God created that sun and he created all the planets and all the, uh, all the galaxies around it, all the stars in the sky, and he created it in such a precise way that the earth, the, the little planet that we dwell on, you know, that, that little thing just the right distance from the sun, God placed it there just perfectly. If it were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If it were any further away, we would freeze. Perfect wonder of God. Or go out tonight if it's clear and look up into the sky and just, just try to count a star or two. You can get to a few, but you'll lose count because you can't count that high and, and you can't be sure you've counted that one already. You know, it's just wondrous what's up there. If you want to really experience that, sign up for one of our trips to Peru. and Go there in the Chancay River Valley where the valley is at 10,000 feet above sea level, and then get on up into some of the higher villages at night and just look to the sky. They see wonders like we don't see down here on this low elevation. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me just meditate upon your wonders. But it's not just the wonders of His creation, as great as they are. Lord, help me to meditate on the wonders of Your sacrifice. Help me to meditate on the wonders of the cross of your salvation. He said, my soul weeps for grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. You notice as David prays here and, and asks for revival, renew me, revive me according to your word. 
And then he says, strengthen me according to your word. A lot of us are trying to, to, to somehow be strengthened in the Lord, and we never spend time in his word. The word of God is our food. The word of God is our strength. The word of God is our nourishment. The word of God must be focused upon if we are to be strengthened, if we are to walk, if we are to walk in the truth and the wonders of God. Remove from me the false way. And graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. That is, I've I've chosen to walk your path. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cling to your testimonies. Lord, do not put me to shame. My commitment is to you. Now, Lord, by your word, would you enlarge my heart? Would you help me run the way of your commandments? Would you help me know your ordinances? Would you help me meditate on your wonders? Lord, as I go to this word, teach me your truth. That's the kind of examination Paul is talking about. Or, or as David said at the end of Psalm 139, when he, just, when he, when he meditates there on God's omnipresence and omniscience and, and, and everything about the grandeur of God, knowing us intimately, creating us in our mother's womb before we were born, he, he reflects upon all of those beautiful truths of wonder. And, and then he says at the, end of that, at the end of that psalm, he comes to this kind of self examination that we're talking about this morning. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. That's that's a prayer that David is praying there to be made holy. When's the last time you came to this table and your prayer, as you hold that bread in one hand and hold that cup in the other hand, how how many times have you come to this table and said, Lord, you are a holy God who has given us a holy sacrifice that we are celebrating this morning in a holy manner. Lord, make me holy. Search me. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, Lord. Just search me and try me and then show me, O Lord. And as you hold that bread and hold that cup, you recognize this is his body that was given for me. This is his blood of the new covenant that was shed for me. And his Holy Spirit has applied that to my life. And I have believed in him. I have placed my trust in him. And Lord, now I just desire to be made like you. Make me holy, O Lord. Make me holy. challenge you this morning as we come to this table and hold these elements would you make that your prayer would you pray lord search me oh god let me give you a little hint here he already knows what's there you don't have to give him permission it's not like saying okay lord i tell you what i'm going to give you permission to look at me no he already knows what's there David's not saying, Lord, you need to discover some things about me. Here's my heart. God would laugh at that. But David's saying, here's the thing, Lord. I'm tired of being a phony. I'm tired of putting up a facade. I'm tired of trying to wear a mask 
Lord, I want to be real before you. So, Lord, I know you know already what I am and who I am and what's there. But, Lord, I want you to know I want to make my life an open book to you. I just want to open up to you, Lord. Search me, and when you see what's there, convict me of it. Bring me to repentance. Bring me to confession. And bring me back to a holy walk with you. Will you pray that this morning? As you take that bread and take that cup, will you think about what that means to be holy? It's not holier than thou. It's not acting like you're something you're not. Heaven forbid. But it's literally grabbing hold of who you are in Christ Jesus. Clothed in His righteousness. Forgiven of your sin. Cleansed of your sin. You who who knew no righteousness at all and have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ have as your Lord He who knew no sin. He who knew no sin that became sin on your behalf so that we, Bill Haynes the chiefest among you, we who have no righteousness of our own might become the very righteousness of God. Would you pray that prayer this morning? Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. And if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you, Lord, would you take it away? And if there's any hurtful way in me, would you lead me in the everlasting way? Lead me in your will. Lead me into holiness. The bread, his body. The cup. His blood, given and spilled for you. Would you pray with me? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. As the deacons come and prepare to serve this meal, I invite you just to do what Paul tells us to do. He doesn't doesn't suggest it. He doesn't (coughs) invite us to do it. He commands us to do it. Examine yourselves. David says, David says, I ask you, Lord, to search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Will you do that? And lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the way of holiness. We pray and ask Him to do that as we take of this meal.
Scripture says that on that night, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Then he took the cup, and he said, this wine is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. He asked God's blessing on it, and then he passed it among his disciples. Would you hear the blessing of the cup? And uh, Frank Carrington, would you lead us in that, please, sir? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood that your son that you sent for your son that, that shed for us. And what this table, as we come to it, Lord, as we examine ourselves, let us be a true examination of ourselves, Lord, that when we come to this table, we, we do cast down those idols yes. that we all carry. And that we do honor and glorify you in our lives if you have fit for us, Lord. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he, that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart so that 
heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members, your bodies, as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from these things, the things which you are now ashamed of? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a sacred rite. It's a sacred rite that, not because of the bread or the fruit of the vine, but because of what it points us to. It points us to the cross, it points us to the Savior. It calls out, as Jesus Christ is lifted up, he will draw men and women to himself. And our prayer is that God will use us as a body of believers to share the gospel, to share the truth of his love in this city, in this county, and beyond, that men and women will come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's personal. It's corporate as we observe it together, but it's, 
It's personal in that in taking of this, you're saying, my commitment is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And my desire is to walk as his disciple in obedience. Not obedience that I can do in my own strength, but obedience that comes through walking in him by his strength and by his power. But, oh, dear friend, don't ever let this become just a rite, R-I-T-E, just a, just a ritual. Don't ever let it become something we just do because we do it. Let us always do it in remembrance of that sacrifice. He said, this bread is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Seals the new covenant. Whereby you can know God. Whereby you can have fellowship with one another. Your sins will be forgiven. And you can have his, his, his spirit in you. But you will have his law upon your heart and upon your mind for obedience. So this is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. May we never forget. It's amazing that he said, do it in remembrance of me. May we never forget the Savior who gave up his life that we may live. Would you bow with me in prayer as our musicians come? We prepare to sing a hymn of commitment, a hymn of invitation. Perhaps you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God is moving in your life, and you've got questions, you, you've got questions you don't even know what to ask. But you know the Spirit of God is dealing with you. Come and trust Christ. I invite you to Christ today. Others who are God is leading to be a part of this church family. You be obedient to him, uniting with, with this body, this covenant family, by his grace and for his glory. As we stand together, as we sing together, as God leads in your life, you be obedient and come.